Comedian of the Year, Aaron Wilburn, Barry McGee, Chandra Pierce, T. Bubba Betchel, Tim Hawkins. 2014 Inspirational Country Music Awards, Comedian of the Year, T. Bubba Bechtall. Wow, 35 years out there, this is the first award I've ever won for what I do. I want to thank the National Speakers Association. I did not come out of nightclubs and comedy clubs. I came out of the speaking profession. Thank the Grand Ole Opry for 18 years ago giving me a chance to be a guest comedian on there and it stuck a little bit. And I've been guesting there now for almost 19 years. To my manager, Al Schiltz, with a consortium here in Nashville, yeah. who, just <laughs> who just keeps believing I can do things that I don't think I can do and pushes me in the right ways. 1979, I was elected president of the United States JCs here at Nashville, right down in the old Nashville Convention Center. Minnie Pearl was our entertainment for the night, and I met her for the first time. She asked me what I was going to do after my year as national president was over, and I said, well, I think I'm going to be a comedian. I'm pretty funny. But I don't know if it's big enough for me or not. I did not know that I had insulted the great lady. And she looked at me and put her hand on my shoulder and changed my life. She said, son, laughter is God's hand on the shoulder of a troubled world. And those that can make people laugh need to do that. And that's a That's about 90% of why I'm up here tonight. And I want to say a final thing. Thank you very much for recognizing comedians who work hard in the country music business all the time to bring laughter along with the music. But thank you for recognizing the kind of guys that do it like I do, <coughs> that do it the way I do. I learned a long time ago, you don't have to be filthy to be funny. Thank you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, along with my friend, Christopher Plain. And tonight, we are doing a three-hour tribute to a friend of both of ours who has left his mark on this earth in a way that many people do not. What you heard was the night in 2015 when T. Bubble Betchel won Comedian of the Year in the um in Nashville. According to MCA Nashville comic recording artist, T Bubble, T Bubba, Bubba is not a redneck. Bubba's a guy whose ancestors were probably rednecks, but he's gone on to college now. Works in a bank, likes to hunt and fish on the weekends. These are his words. He wears the uniform of the South, but it's not T shirts and overalls. Like on Hee Haw, he's probably wearing a white starched 
Oxford cloth shirt with a stiff collar, a blue blazer, khaki pants, penny loafers, and no socks like I do. Again, that's from Bubba. He's a lovable cahoot, that big roly-poly kind of guy with a heart of gold that's in your family, and he's not just from the South. Call them John Bubbas to explain it. John Wayne was the biggest Bubba that ever lived. Then we had John Belushi, John Candy, and now John Goodman is carrying the banner of the Bubbas everywhere. See the stereotype? And so is T. Bubba. Ladies and gentlemen, we lost Bubba earlier this week. In fact, I got the message at midnight and about fell out in the floor. I was doing my usual can't sleep and and pulled up the JCI Florida page on Facebook, which I am a member of, and there it was. Apparently, he had fallen asleep and died in his sleep. Well, when I put it up, little did I know that my friend Christopher Plain had interviewed him before and had set to interview him in a few weeks, and so this um, show was born. Now, before we go any further, I want to explain to you something that Bubba said. In 1979, he was elected as the National JCI President. If you do not understand what the JCs are, I'm going to give you a little bit of history before we get on with our tribute because the JCs are the reason that Bubba became the person that he was and was able to do what he did. It was in 1915, a movement was founded by Henry Gessenbeer. He formed the Herculeum Dance Club, a social outlet for communities used. But unknown at the time, he was laying the foundation that would become a global movement. On October 13, 1915, the first JCI movement was founded when 32 men joined to form the Young Men's Progressive Association, also known YMPCA, at the Mission Inn located in their hometown of St. Louis, USA. In 1917, the St. Louis Chamber of Commerce um, gave them an emblem. The Young Men's Civic Progressive Association members received acknowledgement from the broader community. However, on November 30, 1915, official recognition of the organization was granted after enrolling as a member of the Mayor's Conference of Civic Organizations. One year later, the YMPCA became known as the Junior Citizens and soon the Junior Chamber of Commerce after affiliating with the St. Louis Chamber of Commerce. In 1920, they had their first national convention. In June of 1920, with 41 cities president, present, the U.S. Junior Chamber of Commerce held their first official convention, where their first constitution was adopted and the first president, Henry Gissenbrier, Jr., was elected. He closed the ceremony with his express goals for the organization. We have definitely launched a great institution into the world of progress. Let us hope that from this institution will emerge citizens of loftier ideals, higher privileges, greater opportunities, pure patriotism, broader ideas of service, and greater capacity for happiness. In 1926, after gaining Charles A. Lindbergh 
commercial aviation pioneer as a member, the U.S. Junior Chamber of Commerce pursued to expand aviation throughout the United States by working to establish and promote airport construction, encourage airmail usage, and mark towns for easy identification from the air. That same year, the Get Out, the Vote campaign was initiated in which the U.S. Junior Chamber of Commerce became the first national organization to conduct a systematic campaign to educate citizens of their civic duty to vote. As a result, 12 million more individuals voted in the 1928 election than in 1924. In 1954, Operation Brotherhood, exemplifying the value of brotherhood, JCI's first international campaign launched in 1954. Operation Brotherhood was developed through collaborating with the United Nations to support refugees fleeing communism in Vietnam. The campaign included large-scale fundraising efforts that raised U.S. $1 million, assisted more than 730,000 individuals through health and wellness programs, and created more than 350 community living spaces for refugees. In 1981, the year after Bubba T. Betchel was the U.S. National JCI President, In 1954, the United Nations Economic and Social Council granted JCI special consultants officially defining the supportive relationship between JCI and the UN. In 1981, JCI President Gary Nago visited with the UN Secretary General Kurt Wallenham at the United Nations to discuss the longstanding partnership between the two organizations. In 1951, the JCI Creed outlines their fundamental values. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I was never, I never had the privilege of being a JCI. I am not a JC, nor am a senator. I am a friendship because my husband was the youngest JCI senator, JCI in the state of Florida in 1954, 54, 51, 54. He was 20 years old. The legal age was 21. They lied to get him in the JCs at 20 years old. He had a very storied career in the JCs, became a senator, and because of his involvement with the JCs, he he met people worldwide. He was very successful. He was very well known, just as Bubba was. The JC Creed was written by C. William Brownfield. It's a six-line statement of the beliefs and principles of the JCI movement which was officially adopted in the 1948, uniting individual members across the world. The creed goes as this. We believe that faith in God gives meaning and purpose to human life, that the brotherhood of man transcends the sovereignty of nations, that economic justice can best be won by free men through free enterprise, that government should be of laws, rather than of men. So when they tell you it's a mandate, it's not a law. That Earth's greatest treasures lie in human personality and that service to humanity is the best work of life. That is what the JCs did, ladies and gentlemen, and continue to do so even though their numbers have diminished. When Bubba and my husband were in the JCs, it was nothing for them to have five to 6,000 people at a national convention. So with that in mind, 
And I also want to tell you this. What the JCs did is they taught these men how to be better speakers, better individuals, and how to be successful in everything they did. That brings me to how Bubba Betchel became a comedian. When he, let me see if I can find, um, jump in there, Chris, while I'm looking for my paperwork. I got it. <laughs> got it. Can, so can you actually, oh, excuse me. Um, yeah, I had, to fly, I had to fly headphones on. So uh, can you hear me actually? I can. Okay. Awesome. Uh, I have these like really fancy Bluetooth headphones, but they, uh, I'm not sure like how the speaker part of them works. So. It works <laughs> really well. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk into the headphone or talk into the phone or, or what. <laughs> but, uh, I guess we'll keep them close together and that way I can't make a mistake. Um, but no, Bubba is T-Bub. Uh, that's kind of what I, I affectionately always, I joked with him that that was his nickname is, is T-Bub. Um, and, uh, just such a unique, unique person, you know, um, funny and kind and, and, uh, so many levels. That's, that's why when you, when you posted it about the second line, I knew before I actually messaged you and asked, like, you know, cause when it said the way you worded it, I just, my first thought was, oh, man, he did not die. And then I asked you, and you said, yeah. And I was just like, oh, man, like, like this sucks. Like, this is John Panette all over again, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I had got to be friends with John Panette, too, uh, like that. And, you know, when John died, I it, I was so crushed by it, you know, and uh, – they they had so many qualities that were similar in you know the the sense of humor and how they talked about their weight in a funny way and just they could take the most mundane things about life and make them funny and they could do it without being you know juvenile or well, I don't want to say juvenile they could do it without being crude or whatever um, John did. A, a couple little bits that had some swearing in it, not really heavy duty, um, but I guess more just an emphasis thing maybe. Um, but, you know, John, much like Bubba, he didn't dwell on the the blue comedy, the adult stuff. He, he just, you know, they talked about the silliness of people they met and the silliness of life and, their way and food and um you know i i think that's why both of them were kind of special to me um because you know they they really were very very similar in a lot of ways and we lost both of them again far too early and uh just huge huge voids that they leave in in comedy of uh, so, so few people that do comedy without it reverting to 
you know, the quote-unquote blue comedy style or the vulgarity and and, and all of that. And, um, you know, it is so rare to have them that when you lose them, it's almost like a double whammy, <laughs> I guess. So. Well, and it leaves a hole that, of course, can never be filled because these guys right. were, were iconic. They were living legends. Yeah. When you said T-Bubba, everybody knew who T-Bubba was. And, and right, right. And he was a southerner, and we as we as southerners, we know how to laugh at ourselves. Whereas, right. and and we do it, and, and when we laugh at ourselves, it keeps other people from laughing at us. In fact, um, I want to play a clip if I can find it. I've got so many clips on here; it's not even funny. Well, he he says, "I am Bubba," and it's a five-minute clip. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is off the chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, along with Christopher Plain, and we're doing a tribute to T. Bubba Betchel, who we lost way too soon. the way we do things down here, Delta's ready when you are. <laughs> God bless Brother Dave and Lewis. I'm just carrying on a tradition. I am Bubba. It's great to be here. I mean that. I am Southern. I was 23 years old before I discovered Robert E. Lee was not the third member of the Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> I believe Earth's a Southern planet. I really do. I was in Connecticut last week. lady up there said, Bubba, I thought everybody in the South had two names. I said, I do. My name Bubba. <laughs> I asked my mother once why she named me Bubba. She said, anytime you're born in the South, your belly's bigger than your chest and you're ugly, you're going to be a Bubba. <laughs> and I... <laughs> I asked her, was I an ugly baby? She said, you was born backwards and nobody noticed. She <laughs> said, I carried you around upside down for two years. Everybody in Mississippi thought you had the biggest smile in the whole state. My mama said I was born backwards and nobody noticed for two years. I don't like looking like this. I got the same shape I was born with. I just, I just got bigger. I mean... You don't have to be big to be a Bubba, but it just seems to go hand in hand. I I mean, I still look the same. I mean, if you pull my teeth, shave my head, and put me in a diaper, I would look like I was 18 months old. <laughs> As a matter of fact, this coat I have here tonight is a 54 toddler. <laughs> I'm just trying to do the best I can with it. They won't... They won't let me back in Opera Land no more. I got on a merry-go-round there last week and screwed it in the ground. <laughs> when you get on the elevator with me, you need to be going down. Well, I'm just a big boy. I, I'm proud and I'm thankful. I'm proud that I live in the South, and I'm thankful that there won't be a Richard Simmons, Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Bubba. <laughs> He's clogged up, ain't he? <laughs> I, 
I am Bubba. I wear a ball cap. Most Bubbas you see wear a ball cap, and I have my name on mine. I have one button on my ball cap. It says, I beat anorexia. <laughs> <laughs> and I got it in permanent remission, too. <laughs> I am not worried about it coming back. I have ruled that and jogging as a ways I'm not going to die. <laughs> That's right. I am not going to starve to death, I promise you. I, I am Bubba. Any, anytime I hear anything that I agree with, I say affirmative three times. I go, yep, mm-hmm, I heard that. <laughs> That's Bubba. I, <laughs> where I live in the South, I like to hunt and fish, and the term gun control to me means that you hit what you aim at. <laughs> I am Bubba. I'm proud. I'm proud to be American. I'm proud of being Southern. And I, most of the thing that Bubba's proud about more than anything is the fact that he can still wear his same blue jeans that he wore in high school. Except now he's wearing them way down here. <laughs> now y'all see a little bit. I'll get you a side view of that there so you can get that. Uh... That's Bubba right there, you know, eh? I have settled an argument with a tire tool. <laughs> I am Bubba. I have been known to use the word pork as a verb. <laughs> I'll wait a while for the Episcopalians to get that one. <laughs> That's as in two pork. <laughs> oh, well, I, <laughs> I don't like much about politics. I, uh, I, Bubba thinks that most politicians are like diapers. They need to be changed often. <laughs> And for the same reason. <laughs> Bubba loves his family. I love my sister. I once bailed my brother-in-law out of jail just so I could whip his butt. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things that Bubba likes. And I play golf, but I won't go on no golf course that I can't carry my own cooler on, you know. <laughs> And I think if Bill Clinton is the answer, it must have been a stupid question. <laughs> I will drink a cold beer, eat a moon pie, and smoke a cigar all at the same time. And I do drive a four-wheel drive pickup truck with a gun rack next to a picture of a deer drinking water and a bumper sticker that says, Don't tailgate me, I'll flip a booger on your windshield. <laughs> That is Bubba. I see some of you out there might be a few Bubba's too. Bubba, you know. And is that not true, Chris? Oh, every bit of it. Every bit of it. On the first time that I interviewed him, I told him a story um, because I knew about him before this happened. And, you know, I've listened to his comedy for, for decades and uh, when we left in 2000, when we left Michigan and moved to Arkansas, um, I had this thing about calling people Bubba just because as a son of a truck driver and being around a lot of Southern people and whatnot, I just, like he said, you know, if you're kind of, if you're fat, ugly, and overweight, you're, you're going to get called Bubba. Um, when we got down to Arkansas, this habit of calling people Bubba. We went to a few yard sales and 
he pulled up in front of this house and uh there's an old boy sitting on the porch and i told mama i said that's a bubble if i've ever seen a bubble and mom turned around and she said you need to stop with that bubble thing she's like not everyone that lives in the south is named bubba and i said well I said, somebody once told me, I said, when in doubt of a Southern male's name, just call him Bubba, you have a 75% chance of being right. And she's like, you need to stop. So we go up to the yard sale, and I'm looking around, and I see some video games that I want. And uh, the woman comes off the porch, and I asked her, I said, how much are these video games here? And she's like, she said, honey, I don't know. She said, let me ask my husband. She picks the game up, holds it in the air, and yells across the yard. She's like, Hey, Bubba, how much you need for these here games? <laughs> My mom laughed so hard. She had to go back to the car and sit in the car because she was laughing so hard she was crying. So I paid for the game, and I got back to the car, and she's like, how did you know that? And I was like, I didn't know that. I was like, but I told you, he looked like a Bubba. <laughs> You know, she was like, she's like, I'm never going to let you live that down. And it was like, well, come on, man. He's he's sitting on the porch. He's sitting in a rocking chair. He's whittling on a piece of wood. He's about 350 pounds. He's wearing bib overalls, and he's got a beard down to his belly button. And there it is. There was ever a bubble, you know. And and Betchel knew that. He. Right. He knew how to do self-depreciating humor because he understood. He grew up in Mississippi. He was born and raised in Mississippi. Mm Mm-hmm. And. You know. Go ahead. Go ahead. I would say somebody once told me, because, you know, stereotypes can be good or bad. But somebody once told me for there to be a stereotype, there had to have been somebody like that to create the stereotype to begin with. And, right. you know, and you don't always have to have a stereotype be a negative thing. Sometimes stereotypes can be funny. You know, Jeff Foxworthy had, here's your sign. Bubba had Igmo. Mm-hmm. You know, and and Bill Engvall had... Um, uh, or no, Bill Engvall had Here's Your Sign, and Jeff Fox already had You Might Be a Redneck. You uh-huh. know, all kind of the same thing, but all kind of playing on the stereotype of, you know, the Southern thing. And, and Bubba took it further, you know, with his Igmos weren't just Southern folk. You know, they were Walmart folks, and they were fast food work fast food workers, they were northern people, you know, they the ones he called Yankees and and, you know, I mean, he made fun of his wife who, you know, he called Bubblicious and um you know, I mean <laughs> Bubble really just kinda everybody fell under his umbrella, you know. He um, was an equal opportunity um Yeah. Comedian. He reminds me a lot of Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield was, he didn't care who he insulted. And Rodney Dangerfield and um, Dom, um, Don Nichols. Don Nichols was. Yeah, Don Nichols was a master. Yeah. And you got, you talking about 
Northern Igmos. Let me play this clip. It's like a minute long. Let me play this. It's called Bubba's Northern Igmos. Now, this, ladies and gentlemen, this is fall <laughs> down funny. It is absolutely fall down funny. Yeah, it is. And I think there are a lot of Igmos in this global warming debate. You know, I don't live in snow country. I'm staying right here on the Redneck Riviera in what I call cold country Florida. That's right. We got about two months a year that I call shorts and sweater weather. You can wear your shorts and a sweater and be totally comfortable. I like that. But I have to travel up north in the winter to make a living. They like Bubba up there. They know that Bubba can be found anywhere in America. It ain't just a southern thing. So this year the government came out with an official travel pack for all people traveling in blizzard country. Now the government said you should always have a heavy blanket, one gallon of water, a flashlight, two days worth of food, emergency road flashers, a cell phone, and a portable radio when you travel. So I got all that. I looked like a dead gum fool last week when I tried to get on an airplane for a show I had in Portland, Maine. But they took it all away from me. Big nose. <laughs> and again, he he nailed it. And before we go any further, I don't know what happened, but for some reason, Blog Talk Radio kicked me into a 15-minute show, even though this thing's going to record and go into archive. So let's finish it out. It'll only be an hour, and then if you want to, we'll bring this back again tomorrow night and finish our tribute. That's fine. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, you will hear it again tomorrow night because we've got a lot more where this came from, right? Yeah, for sure. When when you when I put that up about him um, Wednesday morning, and I got your message back, that's that's when it struck me. He belonged to the nation. He belonged to everybody, even though he was a, a JC and a senator, and we all loved him because he was one of us. His reach was phenomenal. He, this is this is what he did. Um, what he says is he did not come into stand-up comedy, but took a different route as a professional speaker. And he and he learned how to be a professional speaker through the JCs. He says he did it because that's yeah. where the money was. He, right. he was a one-time salesperson. Then he became a motivational speaker at conferences, and the um, the thing is, when we go to conferences, we call it a rubber chicken dinner. And then he was he was not, it, it, I mean, because you, most of it's rubber, you know, it's been sitting there forever and a day. Right. But he was he was hysterical. So he was a proud member of the National Speakers Association for thirty seven years, earned the highest professional speaking designation in the world, which was a certified speaking professional and then he been reflecting on the job he has as a teenager which he called the greatest influence on my comedy career he worked as a driver for the brashly outrageous stand-up comic brother dave gardner whose whose regional shtick included jokes about rc colors and moon pies and i remember those and, it, yep. and he'd gone from regional clubs to frequent appearances on the Tonight Show. So Bubba spent a lot of time with him. 
driving around during gigs in Biloxi, and he said, Brother Dave influenced me greatly. He was just himself and was proud of what he was, and other people loved to tell him about it. He says, that's all I do today. He says, what makes people laugh has fascinated me my whole life. I was buying comedy tapes when kids were buying rock music. Then he developed a friendship with another humorist, his friend Louis Grizzard, and Grizzard was taken with his bluntly transparent view of life. And Grizzard began writing about Bubba in his book and columns in the Atlanta Journal. I used to read all of yep. this stuff. He was hysterical. And when his health yep. problems became so severe, he asked Betchel to serve as a substitute for personal appearances when he was not able. Betchel says yep. of the late writer, he gave us all permission to be Southern and taught us that we were as good as anybody else in the country. And then uh, Grizzard's manager, Stevie Enoch, I can't talk tonight, was his first manager in the (laughs) show business. So then not only did he do that, but he also worked in in D.C. He um, worked as a speechwriter for Ronald Reagan. He did. And Ronald Reagan came to one of the National J.C. Meetings because my husband set yep. it up. So yep. the JCs brought all these people together, and this is where a lot of them wound up was finding their niche in life and making it theirs. Yeah. If you go back and listen, see one of the things that. Listen, when you when you talk about Ronald Reagan as a person, obviously you have your bad parts and your good parts. But the one thing that stood above and beyond anything else about Ronald Reagan, the man was absolutely unflappable. You were right. You could you could not get over on him. No matter what you said, Ronnie always had a comeback. Ronnie yep. always had that that quip. And if you listen to his speeches, now, maybe you didn't notice it then, or maybe through the years, but if you listen to Bubba's comedy and then go back and listen to his speeches during that first, those first two or three years, you can hear very clearly, you can hear Bubba's influence in those speeches, the the jokes that he told, and the the sense of humor that he had, and the way he the way he led into a story. And you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of Bubba, quote unquote, not just T Bubba, but Bubba as a as a general term, I guess, or right. idea. There was a lot of Bubba in Ronald Reagan. Um, even being a, a California guy, you know, he really was a big Bubba in a lot of ways. And um, one of the one of the things more than anything that stands out to me about Reagan, one of the greatest, I think, one of the greatest statements, or or I don't want to say statements, one of the greatest quips that Reagan made is after they tried to assassinate him 
you know, he went through all of that with Brady and all of that, and he got back out there, and he was in Germany. And this was, I think it was about six months, eight months after the assassination attempt. Um, Reagan was on stage in Germany with a massive crowd giving a speech, and somebody popped a bunch of balloons. And Reagan didn't even flinch. He just <laughs> leans down to the microphone and goes, miss me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was like, you know, they tried to assassinate you six months ago. Like six or eight balloons go off like gunshots. And the only thing you do is you just look at the microphone and be like, miss me. You know, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't run. He didn't duck nothing. He didn't even flinch, you know. And it was just what was so – it's what made Reagan who he was, you know. Um, when Mondale went after him about his age, and Reagan turned it around on Mondale so badly that it ruined Mondale with that one remark. Um, yep. Mondale was 11 points ahead in the polls before that debate. The following day – Monday was 14 points behind. So one remark, one burn from Reagan, he lost 25 points in the polls, and he never recovered, and it led to the worst defeat in the history of the presidential race. Mondale won one state, one singular state <laughs> out of 50. That's not losing. That's just a beatdown of epic proportions, okay? Like, <laughs> I mean, like I said, I, I don't agree with all of the policies that Reagan had. Um, but, again, going back to that, as a man, he was unslappable, you know. And I think Bubba was very much the same way. Bubba, you know, he stood up for what he believed in, and he did what he did, and – and, uh, you know, it. I think that time in D.C. probably tempered him a lot and gave him a lot of material, but also kind of showed him that, okay, maybe, you know, maybe I do need to be a comedian because there's definitely a lot to laugh at. <laughs> well, you know? he, he, um, he said that, that after, after the stint at the White House and that um, – that he built his network, of course, and leadership skills and his laughs. But after that mm -hmm. brief stint in the White House and running for um, an office in Florida, that right. people yeah, started calling him. Yeah, they wanted him right. to serve as speaker at different functions, and, and then he was yeah. off and running. And yeah. so I totally forgot about him running down in Florida. Yeah, he ran for, uh, let's see, he, he ran, ran for state congressman. Senate. No, he ran for congressman, yeah, District 1 in 1982. He won the primary and lost the general. Then he went yeah. back to Washington and worked for fundraiser for the GOP. And he, because he had that foundation of the JCs, in the early JCs, what they did is they taught these men, and in, in, women weren't involved in the JCs. They were involved in the J-sets, which was the female side of the JCs. They were the support group. 
And I'm going to tell you, and y'all can get mad at me if you want to, women, but when they let women in the JCs, they ruin the JCs. Because what happened, the women as the support group in the JCs were like the backbone of the JCs. They got a lot done. Right. And right. It, they taught these men how to be leaders, how to be successful in whatever job they went into, how to be self-confident. Oh how to take a stand, how to um, be, what? feel their worth in, in a dog-eat-dog dog world. In the state of Florida alone, during the early days, when they would call the legislature to order at the beginning of the session and they would do roll call, the first thing they would say is, everyone who is a JC, please stand. There was not an empty chair. I mean, there was every chair was empty because they all stood. Because at some point in time, they had all been JCs. Right. Well, what's your what's your thing? You know, behind every great man is a, is an even greater woman. You know. Exactly. Um, so, so. And and real quick, you know, I mean, he's got a get. We back here to another clip called political correctness and I love this one. This is like a minute forty six. It's hysterical. And is this me or is political correctness began to choke you to death too. I I am so tired of having to watch my step all the time. I went to the beach the other day and stepped on a Portuguese personal war. Political correctness is choking me to death. At the skating rink in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, in front of it is 25 handicapped parking places. If he can skate, he can walk.
and we went to it. And it was it was expensive. I think it, at the time it was like twenty five or thirty dollars a person, um, and they had two comedians. They had uh, Bubba, and they had another comedian, and he was a Native American. He was an Indian uh, comedian, and both of them were so funny. I just laughed and laughed and laughed. And I was only, God, I was only, I think about maybe 12, 13, 14 years old at the time. Um, you know, that was the first time that I'd ever heard them. And it was so unique because both of them, you know, it was, it was clean comedy. It was, I was at that time growing up around truck drivers, I was used to hearing uh, people like, Moms Babley and and Gene or Gene Tracy and uh, Elmer Fudpucker and all of that. So it was again dirty jokes mostly, you know, trucker jokes. So to hear somebody who kind of did that same style, but didn't use the quote unquote trucker stuff, uh, or didn't you know get into the the blue style of it, uh, was unique. Um, and it was cool because hey, we got to go out with the parents and go to a, a, a dinner and, you know, and it was fancy and, um, you know, we actually went someplace that had tablecloths on the tables. You know, we weren't <laughs> used to that because, you know, was, <laughs> you know, the copper kettle was about as close to fine dining as we got, you know, <laughs> so, you know, if we could show up on Friday night at the copper kettle and get the corner booth, man, we were in heaven, you know, um, so to go to this big event, you know, with the, the fancy tablecloths and the, the the catered meals and and all of that, you know, and to hear these comedians, um, you know, and I remember that night, not so much for Bubba, I remember Bubba and I remember his comedy, but the other comedian, his routine, he went through this whole thing, he's talking about cars. He's like, and you know what Chevy stands for, right? You know what Ford stands for, right? You know what you know, Pontiac stands for, and he did this whole routine about acronyms, about what all the different vehicles stood for, you know. He's like, and the one thing I remember, because he was native, he's like, you know what Ford stands for, right? <laughs> it stands for found on reservation bed. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody just roared, you know, because it was like, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, it was just, I was the first time I'd ever heard Bubba, and and then I didn't hear him again for a while, and then later on, I come across his stuff again, and I remembered who he was, and I was like, oh, man, you know, this is, this is that guy from that night, so I had to buy the tape, and um, kind of like what he said in this thing, you know, like, or what you said, maybe, um, you know, when we traveled, when Dad and I traveled around, that was kind of my thing. I would... At all of the truck stops, if we stopped at a truck stop, dad said you can get, you know, one tape or, or, you know, one record or one whatever. And that was always my thing is I always wanted the comedy tapes because I love comedy. And I always had this whole kind of cassette case, old cassette cases, if you remember them. And mm-hmm. I had a whole great big thing of them of, like I said, Catfish and Moms Mabley and Gene Tracy and and Louis, Louis Gazard and, and, uh, you know, uh, Tim Wilson and uh, all of the different people like that, you know, and then uh, Laughing Hyena come out, 
you know, and I started collecting those. I was older at that time, but, uh, you know, Laughing Hyena had Jay Hickman and, and uh, Jeff Foxworthy and, and all of them guys and, um, you know, uh, Ollie Joe Prater. Um, Ollie Joe was from Michigan here, you know. So Ollie Joe was, when he kind of hit big, um, it was kind of crazy because Ollie went from Michigan out to L.A., and he was running in that crowd with Sam Kinison and Andrew Dice Clay and and Bill Bill Maurer and all them guys. And then he broke away from them and got into the more Southern comedy thing. And, um, you know, Ollie Joe was another one. He was a former trucker. He was, you know, 450, 500 pounds. So a lot of his thing was about how fat he was and, and, you know, <laughs> um, but Ollie Joe definitely had a, a blue comedy style, but again, so Southern that, comedy is. Well, so, so ahead, with sorry. that being said, let's, let's play the diet um, clip because it, it, yeah. It's hysterical, and it it is one of your oh, favorites. So, hold on, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Fall down, funny. I'm just big. I don't like being this big. I work on it. <laughs> I do. I don't like being this big. I I I got out of the shower yesterday morning, looked in a full length mirror in my bathroom, and I could see my behind without turning around. <laughs> That's too big. I got so big, my picture fell off the wall. <laughs> I'm one of the reasons they closed Aqualand up in Nashville. I went there one day and got on the merry-go-round and screwed it in the ground. <laughs> and I've tried every diet in the world. I want you to know, I do try, I try hard, I did. Doctor put me on a diet two months ago. Didn't have much food on it. I had to go on two diets to get enough to eat. <laughs> I just, you know, <clears throat> I went on this tobacco chewing diet. You put food in your mouth, if it tastes good, you spit it out. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those weird diets. Nothing works for me. Went on a slim fast diet. Read the instructions, did everything. Ain't nothing right about either one of them words, slim nor fast. <laughs> Said drink a shake in the morning, a shake at noon, drink another shake in the afternoon, and then at night eat a sensible meal. <laughs> How sensible are you going to be when you've been sucking powder all day? <laughs> I could eat butter from a bull by five o'clock. <laughs> Went on a prune diet. I didn't lose no weight, but you knew where to find me if you needed me. <laughs> I recommend that diet to any of you that might have a cold or the flu. You eat two cups of prunes every morning. And I guarantee you, you won't cough all day long. <laughs> you'll want to, but you'll catch yourself.
doctor told me to eat more fiber. Eat a lot of fiber, Bubba, a lot of fiber. I ate fiber for a month. Fiber, fiber, fiber. Last week I passed a wicker basket. <laughs> That's too much fiber. That's way too much fiber. Of course, people think I eat everything I can get my hands on. That's not true. There's some foods I don't eat. Of course, I'm a southern boy. You know, we cook to taste in the south. And when it tastes good, we eat it. If it don't taste good, we salt it till it does taste good, and then we eat it. I mean, if it ain't rolled in flour and fried, I'm suspicious of it. <laughs> I come from a family where gravy was considered a beverage. <laughs> Just good southern cooking, you know what I'm saying? I, but I, there's some things I don't eat. I don't eat cottage cheese. I've seen hundreds of thousands of people eating cottage cheese. Everybody I see eating is fat. I think the stuff's fattening. <laughs> and I'm a southern boy, but I don't eat cured ham either. I don't eat it. I want to know cured of what? <laughs> what if it has a relapse on my plate while I'm eating it? <laughs> I don't want none of that. Never forget the first time I did the Crook and Chase show. Went out there. Lori Ann Crook, after a side, she'd take me out to eat. She said, Bubba, let's go eat some sushi. Well, I never had no sushi. I said, all right. We go in this little Japanese place and sit down. This little fella bounced up there and put down a tray in front of me that was filled with cut bait. <laughs> I looked down there and she said, how do you like your sushi, Bubba? I said, fried. <laughs> Wanted me to eat one of these octopus tentacles. Big old long slimy thing, about that long, had little sucker cups all over the bottom of it. I said, I ain't gonna eat that. If I wanted to eat that, I'd have stayed in my motel room and sucked on the bath mat. I'm not gonna eat that. Just, you know, Charlie Pride introduced me when I debuted on the Grand Ole Opry. Another great Mississippian. I love him to death. We went out afterwards to Cracker Barrel to have breakfast. Late waitress walked up and said, y'all want some biscuits? I said, what's it made out of? She said, scratch. I said, no, ma'am, I know where I scratch. I don't want no biscuits made out of that. Well, I just, you know, <laughs> I'm just doing the best I can with what I got, you know. I'm, I've been three years on the Grand Ole Opry, appearing regular up there. I don't know how big a star I am, but I'm a very large twinkle. <laughs> <laughs> and everywhere I go, people, people. And ladies and gentlemen, that's diet. It's Bubba T. T yeah. Bubba Betchel's diet. I mean, that's just fall down funny. He just takes everyday things and, and, and comes out yeah. with the most outlandish, hysterical things you can think of. Yeah. And, Southern and people. We, before we go any further, I want to make this one observation. Ladies and gentlemen, Bubba's mother was a World War II 
Marine veteran. So yeah. remember that. Southern people, go ahead. Southern people are, I, you know, I've never lived in the South when I, before I moved to Arkansas. Boy, um, you missed it. I, my, my, how do I want to say this? My exposure to Southern people uh, before that was being around truck drivers uh, who were Southern. So when it was first suggested that we move to Arkansas, my, in my brain, it was all like, shit, if I hear banjos, I'm running, you know? <laughs> but, but, but see, Arkansas is not really southern. The southern states are North and South Carolina, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, right. Virginia, and West Virginia. Arkansas right. is like out in the Midwest. If you want southern, you got to right. come to Georgia. Well, well I, And then and you'll hear the banjos. Well, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. As as we got to Arkansas, we ran into a snafu, and um, we uh, the apartment wasn't ready, so we ended up having to go stay with a friend, and our friend lived in Rossville, Georgia. Yep. Now, Rossville, Georgia, was the only time, the first time in my life, that I'd ever seen a town. That was in two states at the same time. Yep. Literally split, split down the middle. Mind. Yes. I worked at Papa John's while we were staying in Rossville. The guys at Rena Center across the street, and I remember this was back before cell phones and or the proclivity of cell phones and, and all of that kind of stuff. The guys at Rena Center across the street uh, we're in Tennessee. Uh-huh. Uh, Papa John's is on the Georgia side. And uh-huh. they had to get corporate permission to cr- call across the street to order lunch because it yep. was a long-distance call to call across the street to, to get pizza. Uh-huh. So one when, day I, when, just, I went over there. Go ahead. When what they should have done was just walked across the street, placed the order, and then gone back and well, picked it up. Well, yeah, but they did. It should be in such a small town. They didn't have a lot of people that worked there. So I went over there one day, and I said, guys, I said, tell you what. I said, I'll make this easy. I you don't have to call corporate all the time. I said, when you all are hungry and you're ready for lunch, I said, here's what you do. Just take a white piece of paper. I said, and just tape it in your front window. I said, and then I'll walk across over here. I'll grab your order, and I'll go back across and I'll make it for you and bring it to you. And, oh, that would be so awesome. And uh, But it, it blew my mind. Well, while we were in Rossville, um, we went to this restaurant. And uh, please don't take offense to this, anybody. <laughs> but we went to this restaurant, and our waiter come out, and he was gay, okay, like Richard Simmons – Carson Presley, gay. And <laughs> he's running all over doing his job. Amazing, amazing waiter. You know, do you want grits with that? I didn't know what a grit was, so I was like, um, what the hell is a what's grit? A grit? <laughs> so he had to, yeah, he had to explain to me what grits were, what's you know, grit? with a bless yeah. your heart at the end because <laughs> the Yankee didn't know what grits was. So <laughs> he brings all our food, 
and <laughs> he brings all our food. Now, the couple that's sitting next to us, it's a is a little old lady and her son, and he's a big bubble. He brings our food, brings our pancakes. He doesn't bring us any syrup. So I'm trying, I'm waving my hand, trying to get his attention. He's over in the corner talking to another customer. I can't see the customer. At some point, the customer stands up, turns around to, you know, do something. And I see that this customer looks like Elvis's twin. And the Bubba looking at the, in the chair next to me, he just snickers. He's, you know, I can already tell what his mind is thinking. So I put my hand in the air. I'm trying to get the waiter's attention. And he reaches across. He touches me on the arm. And he said, boy, you got to hang on a minute there. He said, can't you see the queen's over there talking to the king? (laughs) And I was like, you did not just do that. And I cracked up laughing. And he come over, you know, and he got our stuff. And and, uh, unbeknownst to Bubba next to me, he brought that syrup back. And he turned around and he told to him and he said, honey, I heard what you said. He said, but I ain't offended. He's like, that was funny. (laughs) And he walked away. And I was like, that was such a great attitude to have. Like the guy basically, you know, called you a derogatory name more or less. And you just completely turned it around on him and then just went about your job. Because I'm sure it wasn't. Being in Rossville, being in a small southern town, I'm sure he probably heard it all day long. Um, you know, but yeah, I love Rossville. Rossville is such an awesome place. And, um, but it blew my mind. Like I never knew that a town could be in two states. At the same time. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It, 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 it split right down the middle and see, because, yeah. I, oh, and I left Mississippi out of the Southern states, but those are the true Southern states. And right. even though Bubba right. lived on an island in Pensacola, he's born and raised in Mississippi. In fact, he said they right. lived so far out in the country, they had to walk to town to hunt. And right. a, a true Southerner <laughs> understands what he's saying. That yes. I used to yeah. say that my grandmother lived so far out in the country, they had to pipe in sunshine. In fact, I wanted to yeah. retire so far back in the mountains, they'd have to pipe in sunshine. That was but, that was one of the jokes we made growing up was that was my dad was a truck driver because we lived so far out in the country. Dad had to deliver the sunshine. So <laughs> that, was, that was what he did as a trucker. So but um, what, what I, is so funny is, is people, because Southerners are so quick to make, we make fun of ourselves. We make fun of our culture. Right. We make, it's like he said, until he was, 23 years old, he thought Robert E. Lee was the third part of the Trinity because we are very proud of our Southern heritage. And we get kind of get bent out of shape when when people want to try to take our heritage away from us. It has nothing to do with the war of Northern aggression, though it could if they kept picking at us. But they got to understand we are a – we are uh, states of very prideful people. Number one, most of us came out of the Irish and Scottish countries, and we were literally kicked yeah. out. Our, our, our ancestors were literally brought over as political prisoners, a.k.a. slaves, because they dared defy the British. So it, we right. get a little testy. 
And and so we've learned how to laugh at ourselves before others do because it's like he said, they can will hurt you. It don't matter. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I tell this story uh, a lot too, and people, you know, it's one of them history lessons that they don't teach in school. Um, that people need to realize the South were a lot closer to victory. Yep. And it was only by a utter stroke of God's divine intervention that the North ended up winning. Yep. In the You're Battle right. of Gettysburg. Yep. In the Battle of Gettysburg, and a lot of people don't know this story, and I, I, I and I know you do because we've talked about it. Um, in the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, the South hatched a plan to where they were basically going to sneak behind the uh, Union Army and come from behind while attacking from the front, and they were going to box them in and basically hit them from two sides. Um, in the process of doing this, unbeknownst to the Southern Army and also even to the Northern Army, George Custer, yes, that George Custer, um, Same one. From, from Wounded Knee, uh, just happened to show up with his Michigan militia troops and intercepted the Southern Army <laughs> as they were sneaking around and cut them off and forced them to basically turn around and go back. Now, had Custer not shown up at that exact moment, at that exact time, the Southern Army gets behind the Northern Army. The Northern Army gets crushed. They lose Gettysburg, and the entire tide of the war changes. And the South, many historians have said the South probably wins that war, that it's a completely different outcome. So, you know, you it's really – you can only look at that as divine intervention because it's such a it's such a, a lightning in the bottle thing. If Custer isn't in that exact spot at that exact time to intercept the Confederate army coming around, everything changes. Everything. So you can only really truthfully say that that wasn't just random, okay? Custer could have been anywhere else at any time. (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that he was where he was without even knowing he needed to be there because nobody knew he was coming except for his people, and the southern people didn't know he was coming. The northern army, the Union army, didn't even know he was coming. He had decided to just all on his own take his troops and leave Michigan to join the Union army because Custer always did what Custer wanted to do. So, you know, really, it, it's a fine hair mm-hmm. to split between saying, oh, the north won and the south didn't. Okay, but for that utter freak event, the South wins the war. We're having a whole different discussion, and this whole thing of tearing down 
Confederate statuettes and all of that. We're not discussing that right now. You know, <laughs> there's a whole different version of history. That it's a whole new, that's um, a whole whole different show. Before before right. this show ends, and ladies and gentlemen, we are going to pick this back up at eight o'clock tomorrow night. For some reason, Blog Talk Radio had a brain fart and decided that we were going to do a 15 minute live show. So all of this is now in recording mode, but we're going to pick this up live tomorrow night at 8 o'clock and run for two hours. But I want to play a clip right quick. It's called Bubba Grandma on, on Grandma on Psychology. I can't talk. It's a 54-second clip. So hold on. Hey, y'all. It's me, T. Bubba Bechtel, with today's Bubba Tour. When I was in high school, I interviewed my grandmother for the high school newspaper. I was to get an article on psychology for this great tri-monthly newspaper. Now, you know what a tri-monthly newspaper is, don't you? Well, you try monthly to get out a newspaper. When I asked my grandmother to define success in her own words, she looked at me and said, My boy, success is when you can look back on your life and the memories make you smile. I'm almost as old now as she was then. And when I look back at my life at the memories I have, I smile, even at the memories I had a tough time with when they were happening. So I can sleep at night knowing that I'm a successful man. How about you? Thanks, Grandma. Best psychological advice I ever had. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we will be ending this show very shortly. Chris has agreed to come back tomorrow night because there's so much more. We've got Bubba's Code of Bubba's. We've got um, his uh, Redneck Riviera. We've got Igmos. We've got so much more to talk about with Bubba, tribute to someone that's going to be sorely, sorely, sorely missed. The man was just, uh, there's no words. I had the pleasure of working with him two different times. The last time was two years ago at our 50th. JCS Senate anniversary here in Florida, and since I ran the banquet and the event, of course, I had him at my table so I could keep up with all of my speakers, and he spent the first five minutes of his monologue insulting me, which was hysterical. I loved it. Yeah. (laughs) I will never forget it. Yeah. That's why I said he, listening to all of these bits, I... I guess I didn't realize even more so him and John were so alike. They had, you know, he talked about diets and John always talked about his dieting, how, um, you know, he, he, the, the, all the things, a dietitian and going to the gym and, um, you know, John Panette would make the joke about when he went to the gym, uh, you know, he's like the, the weight trainer would come over and he told me, yeah, he's like, you're working out now. He's like, that's us. He's like, it's really going up now. He's like, you're burning the weight, burning the weight. And John would be like, yeah, I hope it's a small controlled burn. He's like, because if this baby goes all up at once, there's going to be a mushroom cloud over this gym. <laughs> and, you know? and, with, and, and, and with that, we're, we're about to run out of time, you know, have Blog Talk Radio. is They're going to cut us off real short. So, ladies and gentlemen, join us again tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. We will run a two-hour show. 
and hopefully Blog Talk won't have a brain fart again. Chris will come back. Chris, if you find any clips you want me to drop in that I don't already have, send them to me. I know you think they all got blown yeah. up, but we'll continue to Yeah, if I find that we... one, I will. I Okay. So again, so. tomorrow night, and I'll send you the link as soon as we get it up. So, ladies and gentlemen, right. until until tomorrow night, this is Yvonne Mason with Off the Chain with my friend and, and partner in crime in this tribute of the one and only T-double-T, Bubba Betchel. I cannot talk. We will continue this tomorrow night. Thank you for joining us. Please share this. Keep his memory alive. Remember Grandma's Psychology. Until tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, Chris, thank you for joining me, sweetheart, and I will see you then. Yeah. Good yep, night, yep. ladies and good good night, ladies and gentlemen. Good night, Chris. Good night.